You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. When we're united with Christ, you'll never, ever as a Christian say, I wish I could go back and be married to the person I was married to. No, you're going to be much happier. (laughs) Believe me. And everything about it is going to be better. And the earthly, physical relationship between a husband and wife is meant to represent what we as Christians have yet to experience. We've never experienced the honeymoon. We're not joined. Technically speaking, we're betrothed. And thank God we'll never get a Dear John letter from Jesus. If you're married or you have the desire to get married, chances are you've had your hang-ups regarding the lack of marriage in eternity with Christ. While we're indeed married to Christ, the shift from earthly marriage to the eternal is quite the change. In today's message, Pastor Danny reflects on this common conundrum while comforting any concerns that you might have. In his study, you'll be reminded that the things of eternity are more than we can possibly fathom, and we'll definitely have no thought of looking back. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. First Peter chapter three. I don't care if you've heard it before, you'll appreciate it again. Stumpy and his wife, Martha, girlfriend, boyfriend, and they go to the fair every year. And uh, one year they go to the fair and there's this new ride. It's a, it's a plane ride, a, a live plane ride, pilot and all. And um, Stumpy says to Martha, Martha, look at that plane ride. Let's go, let's go do it. Martha says, Stumpy, that plane ride is $10 and $10 is $10. You say they didn't, they're kind of poor. Well, fast forward, Stumpy and Martha get married. They continue this routine of going to the fair every year. And the same plane ride, same pilots there. And so every year, Stumpy would say to Martha, Martha, even the first year they're married, especially Martha, come on, we're a married couple now. Let's ride that airplane. And Martha would say her usual, Stumpy, that plane ride is $10 and $10 is $10. Well, years pass and this Pilot's been hearing it year after year and uh, knows the frustration, of course, especially with Stumpy. And so one year he comes up to Stumpy and he says, look, I've been listening to you and your wife uh, about this plane ride all these years. Here's what I'll do. I'll make you a deal. You don't say a word. Your wife doesn't say a word. No noise. You, You just keep it peaceful. Don't say anything. Don't make any noise. And I won't charge you. No charge. Stumpy looks at his wife. What's Martha going to say? They jump in. Uh, But this guy wants his money. So he does his deep dive and thinks he's going to get somebody to make some noise. No noise. He does his big pull up, you know, no noise. He curves, you know, no noise. He turns back to head back to the fairground. He does a deeper dive, sharper curves, still no noise. They land the plane. He lands the plane. He goes over to Stumpy. He says, I can't believe it. I thought, sure, when I was doing all those tricks, you or your wife uh, would make some kind of noise. Somebody would say something, but a deal's a deal. No charge. Stumpy says, well, I was going to say something back there when Martha fell out, but $10 is $10. 
Say, what's the point? <laughs> well, if Martha would have submitted, Stumpy's. Okay then, okay then, okay then. You don't like that? Okay, listen. Woman was driving home from a teaching assignment in northern Arizona when she saw an elderly Navajo woman walking on the side of the road. She stopped and offered the woman a lift. And after some small talk, the Indian woman noticed a bag on the seat next to this lady. What in bag? asked the woman. Barbara glanced at the bag and said, oh, it's a bottle of wine. I got it for my husband. Navajo woman was silent for a moment and then with the quiet wisdom of an elder said, good trade. Now that the laughter is over, the text. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them are boneheads, that's the loose translation, if any of them do not believe the word, so they could be not saved, not a Christian, or they could be in a period of backsliding, as it's called. They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Doesn't mean you can't wear makeup and have jewelry. It just means that that shouldn't be the number one attraction about you. Verse five, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. Now, just so you know, I've been married as of a couple of weeks ago, 27 years, 24 of them happy, and um, I'm not at this point. She still doesn't call me master, but I'm hopeful. <laughs> you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. What kind of fear? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Then one last verse, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Ladies, don't let that offend you. That just means feminine, feminine. It's not a cut. It's not some kind of phrase of degradation. It's actually a compliment. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, Ladies, especially before you tune the Lord out on this passage, leave here for a minute, go back to Ephesians chapter 5, and as you're turning, let me remind us that what I just read in 1 Peter is in the context of 1 Peter chapter 2 that we covered two weeks ago, and that is being willing to suffer even unjustly because that's our calling in Christ as witnesses in the world. And so here, what God's saying through the pen of Peter is that wives and husbands to be the witness in the home, to be the witness for Christ. It's a wordless witness, a wordless witness. Now, we need to understand God's design for marriage if you're going to get this and really understand it and, and receive it and receive it. You need to understand. I need to understand. And here it is. Ephesians 5, verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And then verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. 
and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now jump down, verse 32. This is a profound mystery. Paul's writing by the Holy Spirit. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Maybe some of us know this and need to be reminded of it. Maybe some of us never heard what I'm about to say and what's being said here. God intends that the earthly marriage relationship represent, typify, speak of a more eternal relationship between the eternal bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and his church, if you know Christ, you and me. That's what it says. That's why. Listen up. Listen up. We need to hear this. The church needs to hear this. Our culture needs to hear this. That's why, among other things, a lot of reasons, a lot of things here, but that's why, listen, that's why sex outside of marriage is sin. Awful quiet. Because sex outside of marriage violates the holy union that a husband-wife relationship in this life is to represent and speak of. Corinthians, one of the verses in Corinthians says, our body is not made for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. My body right now is one flesh with my wife. That's a mystery, but it's true. That's what God says. The two will become one flesh. And we have a physical relationship, my wife and I. One day that relationship will end. But we will continue to have a relationship maritally. What do you mean? We are going to be married, and if you know Jesus Christ, you're going to be married one day to Jesus Christ. Men usually have to take this by faith. Understand this. Sex in the marriage relationship, and by the way, let me remind us too. Listen, hell did not create sex. Heaven did. To be enjoyed in holy matrimony. And sex in any other context is sin. Sex apart from holy matrimony between a husband and a wife, biblically and legally married before God, is sin. So then get the picture. Heaven, as we call it, once we're with Christ bodily, because right now you and I are not bodily united with Christ, okay? One day we will be, and we will be forever and ever and ever and ever. And we're going to live, listen, in literally paradise. And heaven is one unending all expenses paid by our bridegroom because of his sacrifice on the cross. It's one unending honeymoon. Now, guys, if you're like me, you have to take this by faith. But it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Heaven is better than earthly sex. I know. I know. It's hard to accept, isn't it? <laughs> by faith. But that's what the Bible declares. Our relationship forever, when we're united with Christ, you'll never, ever as a Christian say, I wish I could go back and be married to the person I was married to. No, you're going to be much happier. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> and everything about it's going to be better. And the earthly, physical relationship between a husband and wife is meant to represent what we as Christians have yet to experience, we've never experienced the honeymoon. We're not joined. Technically speaking, we're betrothed 
And thank God we'll never get a Dear John letter from Jesus. But back in 1 Peter now, again, the context here, a wordless witness. And to be a wordless witness for the wife, God's called the wife to be submissive to the husband as the church is called to be submissive to Christ. A life marked by purity and reverence. That's what we read, purity and reverence. Reverence just means respect. Now, here's the deal, ladies. He might not be worthy of respect, especially if he doesn't believe the word. So what do I do if he's not worthy of my respect? The same thing Christ did in his suffering, suffering for us when we're not worthy, worthy of it. You treat him with respect even though he doesn't deserve it. Treat him with respect. A third thing that we read is the beauty for a godly wife and a godly woman is to go beyond skin deep. Let me give you this verse. I'm going to read it. You just write it down if you'd like to. Proverbs 31, verse 30. Here's what it says. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You can only cake the makeup on so thick. You can only have so many facelifts. And God's saying, look, let your beauty be beauty that is lasting, that's eternal. Because this present outward stuff, it's not going to last. And that's not the beauty that has the greatest value. I love the story of Jacob and Leah. Jacob and Leah, but the first one that Jacob fell in love with was named Rachel. By the way, uh, if it's helpful for you or somebody else, I'm not trying to promote my stuff, but my wife and I put together this a few years ago. It's called Learning to Love by Faith. It's our marriage testimony. It's based on the story uh, in Genesis of Jacob and his relationship with Rachel and his relationship with a woman named Leah. He met Rachel. He fell head over heels in love with Rachel. It was like love at first sight. And physically speaking, Rachel was more attractive than Leah. But when Jacob, at the end of his life, gives instructions to his children and makes them promise where he's to be buried, he says, you promise me that you bury me with Leah. And if you read the whole story, you realize that even though Rachel was more physically attractive, she had some spiritual issues. She wasn't a real spiritual woman. And over time, Jacob became more attracted to Leah than he was to Rachel. That says something. That's what God's saying through the pen of Peter here. Beauty should come first and foremost from the inner, not the outer. And then we read the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Ladies, we're getting ready to shift to the guys, all right? Equal opportunity here, equal time. But before we shift to the guys... Let me read you a few Proverbs. Proverbs 19, verse 13. Please don't throw anything at me. I didn't write it. <laughs> a foolish son is his father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. Proverbs 21, 9. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. So if he's on the roof, that might be a clue. Proverbs 25, 24, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. That's what Solomon wrote just in Proverbs 21, 9. Why did he say it twice? He had 700 wives. <laughs> There's a lot of them like this. Let me give you one more. Proverbs 27, 15. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. Moving right along. You're her daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear, what might the fear be? 
Well, my goodness, the fear of actually doing what God said and being submissive and showing respect to him even though he doesn't deserve it. The fear of what are other women going to say, especially in a culture that's moving away from the biblical design and the biblical instructions for a godly marriage. What are the other ladies going to say about you if you do this? Hey, what about the fear of where my clueless husband's going to lead us if I let him lead? Mentioned Sarah, married to Abraham. Genesis 12 and Genesis 20. Twice, without God's leading, Abraham led his family down to Egypt, and both times he got in trouble. And once they got down there, here's what Abraham said to his wife. Hey, the king of the land, uh, he's going to see that you're a beautiful woman. He's going to kill me and take you into his harem. So say you're my sister. Lie. And Sarah lied for him. That was not God's will. Hey, ladies, submitting to him doesn't mean you lie for him. Doesn't mean you sin to submit to him. No, you got a greater authority if he's telling you to sin. No, don't go there. Now, husbands. Here, only one verse for the husbands. I think one of the reasons is we can't handle a whole lot at one time. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Respect. Uh, one translation translates that, treat them with honor. Honor. And that's really the word there. It means to esteem them highly. It means to uh, esteem them as something very valuable. That's why I still use uh, in wedding ceremonies that I officiate, I say at one point, uh, and do you promise to love and to cherish her, to cherish her, as long as you both shall live. Cherish her. Because that's the idea. Early on in my marriage, and I did not know I was doing it. And sometimes we're just clueless, guys. We don't know. I, was, I didn't realize it. Tanner was a toddler. And uh, Wendy, after she had had enough of it, uh, and she, she lovingly, <laughs> lovingly and pointedly told me that when Tanner, as a toddler, would call me, Daddy, I would immediately respond. Immediately. No delay. I'd be watching a football game, and he'd come in. He'd call me, Daddy. I'd, hey, mute. Wendy would call me. I'm watching a football game. Once, twice, three times. Danny, did you hear me? Tanner calls me. Immediately, I'm there. You know what was happening? I was making my son, now don't misunderstand, but I was making my son more valuable than my wife. Don't misunderstand. Are we to love both? Absolutely, of course. But listen, the foundation of the home biblically is to be the husband and the wife. And if you let the children become the center and the foundation, it'll affect your relationship as husband and wife negatively. You make sure those kids don't come in between you and your wife. She is to feel like she is the most valued person, the most valuable person in that family. Again, don't misunderstand. You love the kids? Yes. But the foundation of our home has to be the relationship between me and my wife. By the way, my wife's here today. You can ask her if she feels valuable now. And then let me know what she says. <laughs> if it's bad, don't let me know right away. Could you wait till Tuesday? That way we can go diving tomorrow and I can have a good day and I don't have to think about it. By the way, stand up, Wendy, so they know which person to come to. Where's Wendy? Where is she? Come on. Come on. 
Be submissive and stand up. There's a test, isn't it? There's a test. Pray for my wife, too. I thought our marriage was doing better than this. I'll give you a second chance. Now, that was funny, wasn't it? Be considerate. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. That's not a slam. It just means feminine, feminine. You know what God said to Adam and Eve after they sinned in the Garden of Eden? He comes and they're hiding and trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. And um, he asked them both questions and they both try to pass the buck. What's this you have done, Adam? Well, the woman you gave me. <laughs> yeah, we're still trying that one today, aren't we? The woman you gave me. Not only blaming the wife, but blaming God. If you'd have given me a different woman, this would have never happened. Then he says to the woman, what's this you have done? The serpent deceived me and I ate. And here's what he said as a consequence of the fall of man. Here's the first thing affected the marriage relationship. Verse 16 of chapter 3, to the woman he said, I'll greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That is a negative consequence because everything there are negative consequences in relation to sin now that's come into the world and affected the human race and the world. And the first thing affected is the marriage relationship. Your desire will be for your husband. It was already God's design before sin that the husband be the head of the wife as Christ to be the head of the church. The lover and the cherisher as Christ loves the church. That was God's design. Design didn't change after sin. What happened, though, is now you have a sin nature. And God said to Eve, your desire will be for your husband. You're going to naturally, because of sin, want to be independent and not submit to him, especially when he's a bonehead. And he will rule over you. And the natural tendency now is for the man to rule over his wife. I've, I can count them on probably these three fingers, couples that I've met over the years where the wife could beat the husband up. And if you're one of those couples, I would say to the husband, start working out. Because one day she's going to beat the pulp out of you. And you probably deserve it. The old King James Version says, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. And that's our problem. Not only do women not understand men, but especially men don't understand women. And if we did, hopefully we'd be a little different. So let me help us out here. There was uh, a fella once thinking about how sailors referred to ships uh, as she and her. And so he wondered what gender computers might be addressed. And so he got together two groups of people, computer experts, uh, one comprised just of women and the other comprised just of men. Each group was asked to recommend whether computers should be referred to in the feminine or the masculine gender, and they were to give four reasons uh, for their conclusions. The women said that Computers should be referred to in the masculine gender, uh, and here are the reasons. Number one, in order to get their attention, you have to turn them on. <laughs> my wife knows how to get my attention. Do I need to say any more? Honey. They have a lot of data, but are still clueless.
Today on The Living Word, Pastor Danny Hodges has been teaching through a series in the book of 1 Peter. Peter was a disciple of Jesus who grew to understand what living like Christ was really all about. Living like Jesus means standing out. It means not fitting in with the crowd. It means setting yourself apart from the ways of the world and seeking the Word of God. Here at The Living Word, we understand how strange this might seem to those who don't know Christ. But what better way for them to experience Him than through you? We pray that you keep tuning in to this series to learn truth that's revealed in God's Word. We also pray that as you grow in Him, the people around you will come to know Jesus in a profound way. Would you be willing to pray for us here at The Living Word as well? As our ministry grows, we want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and foremost. We're constantly in need of His guidance, so please pray that we'd recognize His voice and direction. Thank you so much for praying about this. Before we leave you, if you live in or near the St. Petersburg area, all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. Just go to ccfstpete.church to get directions and service times. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in again for Pastor Danny's next message right here on The Living Word.